0: Hey y'all, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast, women in business series. Now this started out as a women in business week, but I have been so inspired by these women that I decided to make it a full on series. So we've got some more wonderful women coming along, talking about their adventures in business, recreating their lives, living their lives as they decided. So this is inspiring. Listen up to the whole series and enjoy. Hey, y'all. We've added a listener support button. It's available on the Anchor app. So if you listen to Apple or Google podcasts, uh, go ahead and uh, see if you can get into the Anchor app and uh, donate a little money to keep the show going. Uh, It is a monthly donation. I believe you can do as little as a buck or as much as 20 a month. So uh, help support the Garland Pepper Presents podcast and uh, throw a little money this way. Keep it going. Hello, Carol. Hello, Carrie. (laughs) Hi, Gary. I I just had like two things happen. I got like a little, little blip thing, and then this, and then all of a sudden, it was like, okay, it's happening. I thought, (laughs) I thought, I thought it it didn't happen. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. I'm here with Carrie McKelvey. Carrie uh, McKelvey. Carrie McKelvey is a life transformation coach. And I've known Carrie for ooh, I don't know, maybe twelve, fifteen years. We met at the Edgefield one crazy night. And uh we just stayed friends and have done amazing things like gone down the Rogue River together. And uh I'd like to welcome her to Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Welcome.
1: Oh, thank you, Gary. I'm so glad to be here. Um it's really funny that we met around the fire up by the cigar bar. That's what it is, right? The cigar bar up by the little yeah. mini golf, Irish golf, Scottish golf. I don't know. Golf. Yeah. The golf thing. And mm-hmm. I've always thought that fires really incite deep conversation. And that's in my experience being friends with Gary is that we just have – Deep, amazing conversations from the fire at Edgeville to long conversations on the Lenai or the phone in Hawaii and even up in the Redwoods, crazy, funky, old, historic B&B. Like, we've been all over. It's been amazing in the row. Crazy yeah. experiences. Deep conversations. Yeah. They, what was that?
0: The Anderson Ranch? What was the name of that ranch? Uh, Taylor Howard Ranch?
1: Creek. Howard, Howard Creek
0: Ranch. Howard, Howard Creek Ranch. It was a hippie, like a hippie refuge, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, it, well, it was a logging encampment that was basically defunct and fallen apart. And the hippies took it over in the sixties and turned it into a, like a major commune.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then it now has been run like a big bed and breakfast by just basically two of the leftovers from the commune.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was pretty crazy. We had, mm-hmm. uh, harvested mussels off the rocks and cooked them for dinner. And thankfully we didn't kill ourselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that there was a red tide or what, but it was, um, they were really delicious. (laughs) They were were massive. They were were... massive mussels and they would just fill up these rocks at this. So the the river would flow out into the ocean there. And then there was these huge rocks. So there's kind of this riverbed. And then these rocks would get just filled up with water because they were below, you know, high tide. And then Mm -hmm. when they were down, they were just, it was just, the rocks were just massively full of mussels.
1: That was amazing. That area is amazing. That was before I knew anything about like when you could harvest and and whatnot. We didn't, we didn't know there were rules to be broken. So we inadvertently broke them, which is great because we're,
0: we're rebels that way. First food people, first food, (laughs) there's always first food, Bob. Well, there was first food, Bob. Today we stand with Bob. Or on Bob. Bob ate the first mushroom that we're never going to eat again. But we would like to thank Bob for doing that. Uh, Now you know. Don't do that. Don't be like Bob. No offense, Bob. Bob's listening. Did anybody take a picture of it? Pictures haven't been invented yet. That's one of the reasons Bob died. Damn it. Oh, Beautiful. So what is what, what have you been doing? So you started out like really young, like your whole life. Like most of us, we start out really young. Have you noticed that? I
1: did, yeah. I started out really young. I don't know how many times I've been here. Um, I was raised in a super conservative Christian home. So when I came into this world, I was led to believe that you have this one life. Um, fast forward, 24 years later, I gave birth to my second daughter and watching her first two years led me to the firm conviction that there are some people who have been here many, many, many times. And I think my youngest is probably 2000 years old. So back to my early years, I don't know how many times I've been here, but I'm sure I've been here a few times before. <laughs> so I grew up in, um, all over the Portland area, Southeast Portland, Northeast Portland. I used to sit on my front porch and count sirens, uh, There was a time that I remember sitting on my front porch having this existential conversation about life and death um, with a mob hitman that was on the run, and I think I was about five. So some kind of intense, really deep conversations, I look back over my life. This has been a thread um, always in my life from a very young age. And I always kind of felt like I was on the outside and there was something wrong with me and I I believed things I wasn't supposed to believe and saw things I wasn't supposed to see and, you know, trying to stay in the church with my super conservative family. Uh, My grandparents founded the largest Baptist church in the Seattle area. So when I say I grew up in the church, I mean like I grew up in the church. Oh, wow. um, That's big. Yeah. (laughs) So my dad was in ministry, of course. Um, I grew up in that. I like to say we went to church eight days a week and it was... (laughs) (laughs) It was a huge part of our existence. Um, I grew up under that umbrella and learning that, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells you so. Right. And um, Mm -hmm. you know, the stories about children being weak and Jesus being strong and all the Bible verses about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, you know, learning that I'm nothing without God, Mm -hmm. which is not helpful really when you think about um, empowering women to exist. (laughs)
0: no no it's it's, it's definitely you've got this all-powerful typically a male type figure mm-hmm. figure it's it's always been pre- presented as a male figure mm-hmm. yeah i think that was Baptist, really that's the sure
1: oh heck yeah i mean there's the father son and the holy ghost and i think the beginning of the riff with my family and i was when i presented the idea that if we are all made in the image of god then god has to have a feminine element so the holy spirit is feminine. That was unheard of, blasphemy. And then I went and got pregnant at 17, which is also not really, it was kind of frowned upon. (laughs) But that's, yeah, um, yeah, that was, I was kind of the early years, the beginning years. I spent some time Mm -hmm. in ministry as a teenager. I traveled Europe for a couple months um, ministering. Didn't you do the abstinence?
0: Didn't you do the abstinence courses?
1: No, no, I didn't. There
0: there, There were no abstinence courses when you were in it.
1: Um I think that you we learned that you were not supposed to have sex before marriage and that you were a very terrible human being if you um mm-hmm. submitted to these desires of the flesh um
0: and yeah, yeah, the Mormons go there confusing. a lot
1: yeah, it's confusing when you're presented with real life circumstances and you know anger and resentment, and then you make bad decisions because you're angry at your parents
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well, I know that that may have uh, happened <laughs> i know I know that story well. From um, yeah. both myself, from both myself and and my oldest daughter, they they both we both did that.
1: Yeah, I mean it's hard when I think as parents we are most of us doing the best we can at the time, and I don't harbor resentment for my upbringing. I've learned so much about.
0: Um, no, If, where if I, I come was from, a father who grew up with a father who ran a Baptist church that was massive and was expected to be the son. Who was that son and? And was really taught not much else different to think about other than what I thought I would be exactly that person, wouldn't I?
1: Probably, yeah. And I don't really so, know how I could have ended up anywhere other than where I did. But I'm. I talked about that on one of my um, my own. I guess we call it a show. It's a, a group that I'm running right now. Um, talked about that today. Just gratitude for everything that I've experienced that brought me to this place. And you know, being a single teenage mom was you know, the very least of my challenges throughout life. And I've been, you know, pretty much on my own off and on um, with her. She's now 22 and, you know, that makes me 40 if you don't want to do the math. And (laughs) I put myself through college. I got in a car accident when she was four weeks old and spent the next four months in a hospital bed in my mother's living room with a four-week-old baby and, Um, Mm. As soon as I could walk, I got grants and put myself back in college and managed to graduate with her and um, got into the Honors College at Oregon State University to continue my education and met a man that was my best friend at the time, and he wanted to be a part of my life and was madly in love with me. And I thought that that was really the best thing that I could possibly do for my daughter uh, was to give her a family. So I chose to leave university to pursue the life of the wife. Um, I was 23 when I got married and we had another baby pretty soon. She's the one that taught me about reincarnation inadvertently.
0: (laughs) Wow. The ancient soul.
1: Yeah, she's an old old soul. I swear she's like 2000. She's been all of these remarkable things. It's pretty pretty fascinating to go through that. Um, you know, my my business life started kind of off and on trying to to do business as a single mom and trying to be in business while I was married and um he died 5 years after we got married. I was 28 and he was 32, so got the, the widow aspect and then trying to move on and, and rebuild and build businesses and move forward in relationships and life and with little ones um, through that, spent some time in, in construction. That's when you and I met. I was partnered with someone in construction and bought into his business and worked in that for a while. And. Thankfully, got out of that, got into finance and real estate and did the crazy, crazy business, you know, multiple six-figure income in real estate. I think I sold $25 million in the three years I was in real estate and retired from that to start back into coaching, which is where I began when my daughter was little, was in um, health and wellness as personal trainer and wellness coach, health coach, all those things. Kind of gone
0: mm-hmm.
1: full circle over 20 years to where I am now.
0: That's been a long, long, strange trip, right? Very.
1: It's been very yeah. strange, you know all the things.
0: So, what's the business you have now? What is it?
1: Right now, I am working as a transformational life coach. So, it's been phenomenal. I realized as I was moving through my real estate business, hating my life more and more and more, that I had created everything that externally I thought I wanted. You know, the five-star vacations and luxury cars and kind of oceanfront house. It was just the highway between my house and the beach, but it was kind of on a, a cliff's edge. So you really saw my lawn to the sand to the beach and opened the window for four years and listened to the waves. I mean, it was everything I thought I ever wanted. And that was the time at which I was most miserable, like the time at which I thought that my life insurance policy was worth more than my life. And that was... Um, really drawing me back to look at, at what was going on and what was missing and how could I have done everything that I ever wanted to do and be so unhappy. And so I started looking at what I loved about the work that I did. And I realized in real estate, the way I worked with my clients was very different. And the way I quote unquote advertised myself was very different. I had this philosophy of just radical authenticity and following my intuition and spending time with my clients, just using the real estate as an asset to help them move through transitions in their life and create a life that they really wanted. You know, I didn't sell houses, I sold lifestyles. And with my residential clients, they would almost always come to me and they would give me this like image of the house they wanted. And by the time we were done with their escrow, they're like, this is nothing at all what I imagined because I listened to the house they wanted. And then I asked questions about the life they craved. And then we found the property that would support the life. And it was like, this is, I'm not selling real estate here. I'm doing something totally different. It was transformational work. And so I retired from real estate and I got back into coaching. I actually had a, a coach that I was working with a real estate coaching company. And about six months into the coaching, I was looking at starting my boutique hotel business because um, I was selling hotels at that point. And I was like, no, that's all wrong. It's not about the real estate. It's not about the money. It's not not about any of that. It's about changing lives. And I just wanted to go back to doing what she was doing for me. And what I was doing for my clients, I just wanted to do that for a career. So I've been back for about three years and work with people from all over the world, a client in Denmark this morning. Yeah. And I help, help people get rid of all of the crap that they have come to believe in, the behaviors that they have adopted, and heal the deep, deep wounds, just clear all that shit out, and begin to see a life outside of what they've lived and embrace those possibilities and become passionate, purposeful people teach people how to live again. We forgot how to live.
0: Yeah. It, there's a power in story, isn't there?
1: Ah, absolutely. It's profound. I mean, we have stories that hold us back. We have stories we tell ourselves about why we are where we are and why we can't be who we want to be and why we can't do what we want to do. But the greatest story you'll ever live is the one you finally have the courage to tell.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're, when your true expression starts to come out and it becomes undeniable that you're um, doing the right thing then that that's a rare thing to to be in that space i think yeah um but hold on (laughs) you know ride that wave and and understand it and if you really loved it there's there might be another wave coming so go swim out again yeah get ready
1: oh it's profound i mean you say that as i'm looking out the window and there's just this beautiful surf break there's a couple surf spots right off the line where we're staying right now and there's so much of that ebb and flow and the grace and the balance between um you know the surfer and the board the ocean and the wave i mean there's just so much give and take uh it's almost like a beautiful representation of the masculine and feminine that's inside of all of us and it's you know we talk so much about balance in personal and professional lives and you know balancing the different areas of your life. And I don't believe that everything can be perfectly in balance. You know, there's like the wheel of life or, you know, the spokes on a bicycle and people have this, this idea of things being balanced, but rather than this perfect balance, there's this integration of everything that we are, everything that we've experienced, everything we want to create, every person we have been with and every person we will meet. It's just this, this dance. So powerful to just lean into what's possible when we stop putting all these structures in place that define who we are and what we can do and where we can go and just let it be, like you said, ride the wave. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I have some, some limiting structures that I utilize. And and one is love and loves um, always comes with a question mark at some, at some level, like what is it exactly in this situation? The other is truth you know a lot of people will say love is a feeling and i don't believe love is a feeling i think love is a hard teacher love is love is the one that has you step out of yourself and consider the situation with yourself in it mm-hmm. and how and how you interact with that to maintain it and you do that with with truth and you do it without like thinking something that's not true yeah. You know, you do your best. I mean, that's love. And love is is why I say it's a hard teacher is because sometimes you're going to get an answer that you don't want to hear because you were living on some bullshit assumption before.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. You know? I was talking recently about how um, a lot of times the experience we have is attached to the meaning we give anything. So when when something is is really painful it's it's often because of the story that we've attached to the experience and when we can release our judgment of it it just becomes a gift it just becomes another step on the journey it's it's less painful not that we don't experience pain pain is part of life and it's everything all of the human emotions are part of the experience you know from rage to bliss like the whole spectrum love is definitely painful when you've attached a story and a rule, and you've attached yourself to something that doesn't work.
0: Yeah, I mean that is that is a painful thing, and mm-hmm. you know a lot of times when things aren't working, you have to step back and look at yourself and say, what is, what's up with my story? How am I fucking this up? Because you know there's, if it's a, if it's interrelational. it's it's typically two, and somebody's not telling the truth, and mm-hmm. it's probably both. You know, and yeah. and I think my biggest challenge is and why I t- tend to stay so verklempt about some things is I don't know what to say. I don't know what the answer is to say. I don't know what I actually feel at some level. You know what I mean? Like I'm not completely in touch mm-hmm. with, with what I feel or I feel confliction. You know, there's this, but then there's that. Mm hmm.
1: One of the, is it okay to swear on your podcast, Gary? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I, I just have cool. to mark it as explicit when I post it. Okay. So well, maybe
1: it. I can I try to. <laughs> I, I have a tendency to cuss like a sailor. And a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, we bought a sailing catamaran and we moved to Fiji. So I told myself and everyone else that now that I live, I'm not living on the boat right now. COVID has us
0: separated from the boat. But
1: you bought became... a catamaran
0: and moved to Fiji?
1: Oh, yeah. Did I just skip over that part? Yeah, that happened. <laughs>
0: well, I, I got a message, so I wanted to make sure that everybody heard what happened there.
1: <laughs> yeah. We, my um, phone dinged. <laughs> I did. I bought a catamaran, and I moved to Fiji. Um, we, we'll step back into that. I was just saying that I um, – once I became a sailor, I felt justified in cussing like a sailor. So I have a tendency to just blurt out swear words, and I don't really mean to. It just means I'm passionate about whatever I'm talking about. But when we have this, this juxtaposition of the really difficult situations, and, you know, that would be the expletive that starts with S and ends with T that I'm like, trying to avoid. We have that, and we have the shine, and this is like the shit and the shine is – it's okay to experience both of those things you know we can have really difficult situations and also have really blissful situations occurring at the same time we can have both of these experiences these emotions be present inside of one singular experience and we're often told that we have to kind of choose one that it has to be polar it's either good or it's bad there's a judgment and you can't have both But when we allow ourselves to actually experience everything that's going on physically and emotionally inside any given moment, it's so much becomes possible. So much comes present. And then there's less, um, less resistance, less confusion, because you don't have to choose. You can be like, I feel super depressed and elated at the same time. This, this paradigm is fairly new for some people. If I sound like I'm talking bubbles, that's okay. It was astounding to me before. It's like, no, you can't have both. It's like, well, you actually can Oh, yeah, can.
0: no, no, I I do both.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When we're not committed to one or the other and we're not committed to good and bad, then we can allow what's present it to unfold. And then you do things like sell your earthly possessions, your landly possessions, and buy catamarans yeah. when you don't know how to sail and move to the South Pacific <laughs> Yeah. Life becomes limitless.
0: So did you fly down to Fiji and meet your boat or did you go down to Fiji?
1: We did buy the boat in Fiji. We actually um Caitlin, my youngest, was on a service trip in Fiji. So I have instilled in her the idea that we are not global tourists. Like we actually contribute to the communities that we travel to. So she goes on these two week service trips every year and she's been in Thailand and fed elephants and taught English in villages and she's that summer she was in Fiji and she was working on coral reef restoration and all this um, water work they were painting their water storage tanks and building garbage pits and soap things to clean water I mean it was very very cool what they were doing and Jeremy and I happened to also be in Fiji at that time on um, kind of a vacation and we had I guess, precursor to that. We had left the U.S. just with backpacks and laptops and we're, we called it the no plan plan. We didn't really know where we were going. So we had just been in French Polynesia for a month and met a couple that had a sailing catamaran and Jeremy and I were having a rough, but it's like pretty bad day. And we were, pay- we were paddling this Tahitian va'a, um, which is like you see them as one man outrigger canoes in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. This is a two person va'a. We were out paddling this va'a and we had been traveling French Polynesia by land and was like, this is stupid. It would be so much better by sea. And there was this 53-foot katana catamaran and we were trying to not be super stalkerish coming up to this boat. And this lady from Panama, she comes out and she's waving and smiling and hi, hi, hi. And we're like, sorry, we're just totally admiring your boat. We think life would be better at sea. And so they were like, oh, come aboard. And they brought us aboard the Guy was from Australia, their crewman was from Colombia, the ladies from Panama, they had their whole family, and uh, Jeremy and I came aboard, we spent like two hours with them, and then we went back to um, this overwater bungalow, we were staying at this resort that I'd had my eyes on for like four years, and then it was called Kiora, which is um, Mallory for live well, and it was like, I wanted to be in this place, and so it's kind of interesting that that all happened. The teenage granddaughter came ashore and met Caitlin and we all had lunch together and talked for a while fast forward a few weeks later we had looked at a catamaran for sale there in Tahiti that was just not the right fit at all but we got an email from the broker and she was like hey this boat might be a better fit for you and so we're sitting there probably drinking too much in Fiji while Caitlin is restoring reefs and we have this harebrained idea that we should totally cash out my retirement and buy the boat. So we did. <laughs>
0: oh, my god. We
1: cashed out the 401k, went in negotiations on this boat. Once we found out that they had accepted the offer, then we had to figure out how to learn to sail.
0: So oh, we yeah.
1: <laughs> thought that might be important.
0: <laughs> what is it, Rogets, Something like that. A little sailing guide. There's a little sailing guide. Every boat has one. Yeah, There's exactly. They're
1: they're important. You need one of those. We flew to Spain. We took a like crash course in sailing in Mallorca. And we flew back to Fiji and surveyed the boat and I was really hoping something would be wrong with it because I was terrified of what we were about to do but there was nothing wrong with the boat so I couldn't back out of the escrow we had to buy it Um, flew back to the US packed up what we had left flew back to Fiji with two duffel bags each and moved aboard a boat with a teenager.
0: (laughs) Oh my god that sounds crazy.
1: It was insane and it's just we also learned once we got to Fiji that those are some of the worst toughest navigational waters in the world because the well, charts have not been updated since the 80s and there are coral reefs that come out of nowhere so you're literally at like 180 feet depth and the next second you're over a reef that's like four feet below you. It's crazy. Oh wow. Yeah
0: that's it's so, It is crazy.
1: It's beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. So, yeah, it's.
0: So, those reefs go how many miles out?
1: They're all over. I mean, you literally, I mean, within many miles of shore, there's just reef.
0: (laughs) So, they're like, there's, what is there? A bunch of atolls just under sea there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's like some 300 islands above the water and God knows how many just below. Just below. It's gorgeous diving is amazing it's like the great barrier reef still amazing amazing stuff so beautiful
0: it's like one of the last places uh Mm -hmm. Christine yeah people are wonderful
1: they are so amazing I mean we used to tell people it was like Hawaii in the 40s but they laugh they laugh like children it's just so blissful and inspiring to be around people like that that just Still live in a sense of community and experience so much joy uh with COVID-19 things have been really really hard over there so we've got some friends that we've met um that are native Fijians that have told us it's not like that right now but hopefully it will be again
0: they got really good water
1: <laughs> ironically we just learned that there is arsenic in Fiji water which is um <laughs>
0: Oh, goodness. Well, that's not good.
1: (laughs) No, don't drink Fiji water because Fiji water is owned by, I think, a couple in California.
0: And they
1: don't pay very well. And they ship it in plastic bottles all over the world. And there are many, many, many villages in Fiji that don't have clean water. So it seems ironic that that we're taking their water and shipping it
0: to. Well, they're multi-billionaires. They should take care of that infrastructure for Fiji.
1: Yeah, they should be dealing with water in Fiji, but they're not, they don't even like paying taxes, that, whatever. Isn't that, the, <laughs> isn't
0: that the way it is? It's the way it is. <laughs> That's American corporations for you. Yeah. Just cheat if you can. Yes. Exactly. Figure out the way to cheat. Oh, they put out the rules. All right. Let's figure out the way around the rules.
1: Yes. So much for live and let live, live and let die. Mm-hmm. That is corporate, corporate policy.
0: <laughs> well. I remember being on the church basketball team, and we were a pretty good team. And our coach calls us out one time, one time, and he he pulled out this uh, videotape that he had videoed off his TV, and um, he showed us where this guy, these two guys, were going for the ball, and it looked like either one or the other could have touched the ball on the way out. And and so this happens often, right? angles of the of the judges they can't see it um so as soon as it went out the kid who actually you, we saw in, in replay we we all said he touched the ball he starts pointing that it goes their way it goes their way right so that's the thing when you see basketball players now as soon as it goes out they point that it's going this way it's going this way Well, it never really happened before because it was outside the game you know inside mm-hmm. the game is you touch the ball it goes out ref calls it right Yeah. And whatever the ref calls goes. Now they got instant replay. I don't even think it works anymore, but um, (laughs) I always thought that that was like cheating at some level. Like if I were to touch the ball and I knew it went out on me, I would feel really, really bad saying, Hey, it goes my way. I'm a liar then. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Where else do we do that? (laughs) But they do that. They do that in sports. They know that if I can convince you to not believe what you saw, then, then you will continue. You you will let it go, and and then the next thing will distract you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, good Sphengali's. They know how to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. These little Smoke masterminds. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Politics, corporations, psychopathic narcissists—they all do it. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's right. And there there seems to be a higher level of narcissism. It would require a higher level of narcissism, I think, to actually get involved in politics
1: no that's a really good point i could never be a politician
0: i mean i possibly could if i loved myself more really well if i loved just me more there okay yes yes i I I immediately go to
1: knowing a different level of you probably not i'm you mean you seem very open um with people that know you well, but when you say, if I loved myself more then I think of loving yourself more would be aligning to the person that you truly are. And the person that you truly are is just so caring that of people around you. And like, I can remember a time where I was going through, um, at the breakup at at the time in the breakup with this like, narcissistic psychopath that I was with when I met you and I remember you calling just to check on me and I was sitting here in Hawaii like 10 minutes away from where I am now on my lanai with my kids playing in the pool and you sat there and you talked to me on the phone for like 3 hours. And you were so encouraging and so loving and so when I think of you loving yourself more and aligning with who you really are, I just I don't think you could harm anyone.
0: Oh, I could harm people, and I and we all do inadvertently, I think, um, just with our foolishness and our selfishness and mm-hmm. and our inability to actually set strong strong enough boundaries that that people know better. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's important. I think it's important to set boundaries that say to people, you know, I I, I expect to be treated this way.
1: Yeah. We teach people how to treat us
0: yeah and and you know sometimes we we don't push back because it doesn't seem like it's worth it and then after a while it becomes like oh i should have pushed back because now it's a thing mm-hmm. you know
1: yeah and then there's other times that we actually do draw boundaries and then we end up attracting it back in in another area of our life and that's a whole nother issue. <laughs>
0: Well, that's, yeah, that's the unresolved stories that keep telling themselves through the people we meet in our lives. And the same exact situation happens every goddamn time I get with this type of person. Why? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. I love the
1: way you put that, the unresolved story. I I see that a lot as people... having wounds that are stored energetically in their body. And you might still have a story about it that you can recognize. And sometimes the story's gone consciously, but yet it still keeps coming back again. And it's, it's this unresolved wound.
0: One of the stories I tell myself now is to hydrate more often.
1: I heard that at first I wanted to believe you were just peeing because that would be hilarious. (laughs)
0: Uh (laughs) It's Well, when I was doing full long form, there were times, and I was drinking a lot more beer. There (laughs) there were times where I would pee in the middle of the show, but I had special powers of of obscura uh, helping me along. Yes. Yeah. Like the mute button? (laughs) No, I don't have a mute button. I had to camouflage situations. I'm not going to tell you how or you'd be able to pick it out in a show.
1: (sighs) Ah. I but, must know.
0: Will you no, give me is, your secret? You have to speakers, listen to every.
1: secret.
0: <laughs> you have to listen to every show. You have to listen to every show and be like, "Oh, is it this? I think I hear it." No, I've never done listen, it. Or have listen
1: I? Listen for the pee. Perhaps you have. It's That's possible. Something. It is possible. Anything is possible with you.
0: I'm 58.
1: That's shocking to me.
0: I know it's weird. I, I don't even know. It's kind of weird to me. Um, but I like it um, at some level because I've done a lot of things and I've met a lot of great people and I've had a pretty good time doing it. Um, (laughs) we've had some ups and downs and some ins and outs. Um, and, and I've kind of gotten to the point where sometimes the worst things may be the best things and sometimes the best things may be the worst things. And that whole idea of what is best is kind of changing in terms of like, um, how, how deeply am I inserted into it? Like, is it me is it my life that's that's making it happen is it mm-hmm. is it what i believe in is is it myself coming through and that's important i think
1: so as you're evolving towards this 60 year mark
0: mm-hmm.
1: how do you see yourself in relation with the world and the universe like how much of this is you and how much of it is Part of something bigger than you
0: well you know Thich Nhat Hanh talks about you are just a, a, a piece of you're a piece of water on the wave basically you know you're you're one h2o right mm-hmm. and there are forces that are moving around you that are all the ocean and and you can be a piece of water that's you know, in the curl of a wave. And that could be your whole life. Or you could be a piece of water that's sitting in a bay and that could be your whole life. You know, like Mm -hmm. kind of moving around that area. But you're still water. So as far as me in the big scheme of things... I'm a part of that big scheme of things. I'm, I'm, but I don't know where the separation really is. I mean, you've got your five senses and, you know, and then there's those who would say there's the spirit realm. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know where, where I, end in the world begins and and the structures and systems in place i I do know that if 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 it didn't rain on earth for a few days like on earth maybe even a month we would all probably die so that's a big system thing right like i can't Mm -hmm. do anything about that um as far as uh, me all i can do is work on me that's it and i just Mm got to make sure that I use rituals and tools to help me get there.
1: Yeah. That's powerful stuff when you're talking about like not knowing where you end and where the world begins. And I've been moving through the majority of my life, trying to find where I fit. And so it was like, for me, the the journey where I'm, where I am in my journey right now is Looking for the integration instead of the separation, because I felt so separate, and whether I actually am separate or was separate is to be determined. And at this point, I'm not really sure it even matters. I just know that I've felt separate and I lived my life as if I was separate from the world and separate from the people close to me. Um, never really had a close group of friends or never really had tight relationships in business, never really bonded very well in romantic relationships up until just very, very recent years. Um, I was, I lived the majority of my life very separate and now I'm going through this process of integrating with the ocean becoming one with the ocean.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But not people. I mean, well, that people level. as,
1: yeah, I mean, as,
0: so as you mentioned, you the, the one
1: drop of water, it's like oh, realizing I see, I see, that yeah, all yeah. of these people are these drops of water and together yeah. we are the ocean and yeah, um, being able to see that and the kinds of communities that I'm involved in now um, personally and mostly professionally actually. And uh, the coaching realm is actually almost 70% women, I believe as you had originally wanted to chat about women in business, not that I'm turning it, but it's just mm-hmm. these communities that I'm in now, I'm in communities of women and I'm actually hosting a small mastermind right now with five women. And I have been vehemently against that for the majority of my life. I've never felt safe in tribes of women. And so right now the focus is really integrating with these communities and, you know, becoming part of this greater ocean not just with women; it's not all rah rah women power, but it's it's healing. Well, the right now,
0: with the women. I was just listening to a story of like just the the amazing amount of impact that COVID has had on working women of low income. So, uh, think of this: uh, restaurants have closed, mm-hmm. uh, daycares have scaled way back or closed, um, hotels. Way, way down. Mm-hmm. So these people who were doing work that, you know, that all of people kind of look past and I'm like, holy shit, these people, they're doing the hard stuff. Amazing. You know, and they first off, because a lot of their communities are integrated, you know, generationally, you know, the babies and the grandparents all live in the same house or two, you know, uh, COVID spread faster. Mm mm-hmm. In, in in communities of color, and 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 it, it, it impacted women who were heavy breadwinners,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, in those in those environments, and you know, the relief would have been really nice for those people. It would have been, I mean, some of those people are now looking at losing their homes and the rent, you know, not being able to be paid and being evicted, and you know, I, if it's a weird it world right now,
1: it is. It is a really weird, weird world. You know, here on Kauai, um, it's oh, yeah. like Fiji. I mean, Fiji, the majority of their economy was tourism. And uh, we came back to the U.S. for medical treatments for me in Mexico, and we couldn't get back to Fiji. But um, the 24th here will be eight months since we've been separated from the boat, and that was our home. We couldn't get back. But, like, we can't get back, and we have – every reason to do everything we possibly can to get back. And then there are hundreds of thousands of other people that are just not trying to get back because it's just simply inconvenient. So their economy, like Hawaii's economy has been devastated, but Hawaii and um, Fiji, they're very, generational like that if if you still live in a village it's like the village does raise the child and they're still farming in the villages and multiple generations they all live together and here in Hawaii it's still it's become very expensive to live here and so the families that are you know native families from my experience and what I've learned and my husband Jeremy has he's been living in the islands off and on for 20 years so he gives me a lot of insight into what it's been like and you know the locals that he's become really close with and a lot of them they you know the aunties they live with the grandkids and you know the there's multiple generations living in one house like that and here has been really dominated by tourism as well so there are so many people that are out of work and have been out of work for a really, really, really long time. And it's been pretty fascinating when you mention those industries, you know, the hospitality industries and those industries are as well, primarily women. I mean, as far as there are more waitresses than waiters, there are more female housekeepers than male. You know, there are some of the typical male-female dynamics. You don't see Mm -hmm. a lot of women in maintenance. You don't see a lot of men in housekeeping, but Yeah, they've been pretty devastated here as well. And now they're trying to work and trying to homeschool their kids and trying to run their houses and trying to do all (sighs) of those things.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: While they're losing
0: houses, yeah. That's crazy.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. realtor's talking about, you know, they're expecting another wave of foreclosures, of course. How could they not? It's like 2008 all over again. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is when I wish I had money to buy Hawaii. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Condos, condos are starting to come down. Big price reductions from the people that bought vacation rentals that um, they haven't been able to rent for eight months and just opened back up on the fifteenth. It hasn't even. Most been of those people
0: are week. buying them on the line. They, you know, they're like, if this strategy works out and we stay sixty percent, it looks like eighties. What's normal? We mm-hmm. should be ahead of the game, and then. You know they're running sixty to seventy and eighty sometimes some months, and then something like this happens, the margins not there. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Yeah, not at all. The couple that we're renting from right now, um, they bought this property in February for over a million dollars, little condo, less than a thousand square feet condo, and COVID literally shut them down three weeks later. Wow. And they're a young couple, I mean, they're they they can't be more than mid-30s. they I think they're late-20s, young couple, and like invested everything into this, and it's just shut them down. <laughs> Holy cow, how do you do this?
0: Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of people in some big struggles, and even the rich people that, that thought they were rich aren't rich now in some cases. Mm-hmm. Like these people who buy a place in Hawaii, they are rich, right? But they're not rich, rich. They're not the rich that they're thinking they are. <laughs> no. Because it is just one tragedy that throws them off the boat. Yeah.
1: I mean, and that's that's an interesting thing. Like what is what is wealth? What is abundance? It's not money.
0: Mm. It's so Money's not money. nice. It can be a stressor if you don't have it. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Daniel, what was his name? Daniel Pink, I think. Uh, in this book about um it was called Drive. He was talking about how people put out just about the same amount of value whether as long as as they're paid in a way that their life is comfortably met in other words their bills don't stress them they have enough money to go on some good vacations and a few good shows a year um that they have you know some extra money to to have a hobby and keep their kids you know in 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 school and develop a savings and and he had a number and this was you know this book's about 10 years old and I think it was like ninety thousand like ninety thousand dollars a year. if everybody had ninety thousand dollars a year, um, they would be a lot less stressed and they would be able to function in society pretty well. Mm-hmm. but most people are struggling yeah
1: it's it's I definitely have many 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 years as a single mom that. But- was my life and even you know when I ended up getting my real estate license you know things were really good for a while and then quite quickly they were very very bad for a while and I can remember a time the girls know now but they didn't know at the time you know it looked like I had everything but you know we were having campfire in the living room with the big big fire in the fireplace and huddled up with sleeping bags and roasting marshmallows and the kids thought we were having an adventure they didn't know the power had been shut off like, right. right. and no heat we have no lights we're not camping for fun I'm making it mm-hmm. fun so you don't feel scared but we have no money
0: <laughs> I remember us getting our water turned off when we were kids and my mom filled up the bathtub um, she cleaned it really good and then she filled it up um, the day before and because uh, she didn't have money for then till next payday because some other bill had come due, like a doctor bill or something and so, you know, it was always that way back then. It was bill to bill. And mm-hmm. um, so the, pow- the water went off the next day and there was a bucket in there and you would get one bucket to wash. Well, she gave us all buzz cuts. So, but we were dirty little boys, so just dirty kids. So she'd give us <laughs> one bucket and um, we'd put it on each other and soap each other down. And then we'd rinse each other off. Um, outside, and then wow. the, then there was a pot in there that you would use if if you had to go to the bathroom. If you peed, you didn't flush, but if you pooed, you'd flush, and then you'd you'd flush it by putting a bucket of of water down the toilet. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. It's like, wow, you can do the magic both ways. You can pull the lever or that. <laughs>
1: is magical. I'm thinking of you with the, the bucket and washing each other down. And if you happen to go vacation in Calistoga, they charge you $400 for that opportunity and experience.
0: Yeah. I used to go in. Uh, I, I I actually worked at the Heritage School for Boys in Calistoga years ago. And uh, oh, wow. and I'd go into Calistoga to get massages. They were much cheaper then because it was a little more hippie building, mm-hmm. up, building up to the Beverly Hills. I had no idea. Shit. You could have bought stuff in Calistoga pretty good back then. Yeah. It was, it was too far away from Santa Rosa or Napa.
1: hmm
0: Yeah, desirable. now it's like
1: $400. Here's your little bucket of mud. Rub it all over each other, and then we'll bring you a hose. <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a great hose. Your childhood
1: is very expensive now. <laughs>
0: Inflation. You think a mud bath is going to be something, but it's not. I I did the mud bath. I was like, really? Is this going to rub mud on me and then wrap me in this plastic for a while and let me lay here? <laughs> it's cold in here. <laughs> that's what I told her because I was naked and it was cold.
1: Oh, that's too funny. In reality, TV <laughs> shows about that now, naked and afraid.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, just, it's a cold. Put the mud on, <laughs> on. I'll
0: put the mud there. Don't you worry about that.
1: <laughs> I'll get that part, thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Snick. Never mind. I, mean, I, was, I had another joke. It was going to go, and I didn't. I'm not going to do it.
1: Dang right. it. Dang it.
0: So Your jokes we, are the best. <laughs> so you're doing like an online business and, and working with people through issues. Through their stories
1: yeah we're we're working on their um, it didn't i didn 't mean for it to be online, so to speak, but that 's the way it worked out when we were in cg i still um, I still coach over the phone. I do zoom calls now, so you have the video interaction, but in the beginning, my first couple of years, everything was on the phone because I found that a lot of my clients they do deeper work when we 're just talking. Phone to phone because there's no um, distraction of what's going on in my background. There's no, you know, making sure you're looking at the right part of the camera or, oh no, can she see? I'm about to cry. You know, without the visual distraction, people have a tendency to do a lot deeper work. Um, nice. And in Fiji, it was necessary to do it online because international phone service is really, really expensive. But we could buy a SIM card for $100 and I get 100 gigs of data and then we just marked GPS waypoints that were close enough to islands with good cell phone service. So I would schedule my clients on specific days of the week. And then I would usually leave four to five days between calls. And then when it was time for me to work, we would sail to wherever I could hit this waypoint and have cell phone service, which was basically cell data. And then I would coach online and it became, um, Really Quite a lifestyle thing, and a lot of people have been trying to build you know digital businesses and have lifestyle freedom and so I got kind of suckered into business coaching for a little while because people wanted to know how to build digital businesses but that 's not really that 's not the work that inspires me, so that actually became really troublesome for me. I started having um, a lot of pain in my business, you know, emotional pain, physical pain, a lot of overwhelm and confusion and just couldn't figure out why something I loved had become um, so difficult. And it was pretty interesting to see that it was because I wasn't doing the thing that lit my soul on fire. I wasn't, I wasn't transforming lives. I was helping people with tactical and practical things of like how to build a digital business. And that was crap. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of quote unquote business coaches that can teach you. to do that but um Mm -hmm. what i do is like cracking open your human experience so you can expand your soul it's huge deep healing transformational work and i happen to do it digitally but i don't consider myself a digital coach it just happens to be how I talk with people. I've actually only worked with one client ever in person. It was profound. I would love to do more of it, but the majority of my clients are all over the world and we're rarely ever in the same place.
0: Now you're sitting in limbo, but you're still doing your work.
1: I'm still doing my work and it's all of the struggles that we've had this year, you know, with my physical health, having, um, chronic illnesses, you know, I was diagnosed with Lyme's disease in January. And so I've been hospitalized for that a couple of times. And, um, you know it's spent loads of money on private hospitals for that and just going through that soul-shattering experience of you know facing mortality and facing the change in you know what your life looks like and what your physical human is capable of versus what your soul wants to do. And like, who am I and why do I matter? And all of these huge, like existential crisis kind of moments. Um, mm-hmm. My husband, Jeremy, and I were not feeling well one day and we were laying in bed. We decided we had to watch the never ending story. And my 16 year old has been terrified of this movie for the longest time. I'm like, no, 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 we have to watch it. And you're older now and, you know, maybe it won't be so scary. And so we get her to watch this. And he and I kept looking at each other and we were having these like mind blowing moments as far as the never ending story. is insane as far as the the value the information that's in there these huge this this the storyline about humanity especially as it relates to what's going on now it's profound and so caitlin's over there just laughing her ass off she's like you two are having an existential crisis over the never-ending story (laughs) like this is amazing just a reflection of humanity and the struggle and the great nothing destroying everything and we're um after feeling like everything was destroyed, you know, our big dream and I literally invested my entire life savings. I cashed out my retirement to buy that boat and now we can't get back to the boat. And it so was like, what now? And we've been given this opportunity to come to Hawaii. Jeremy got a job offer here. So we were like, Okay, well at least we're halfway closer to the boat is how we were thinking. It's say so we cut twenty five hundred miles off the journey. At least we're in the South Pacific again. But since we've been here, we actually, a farm that we tried to buy three and a half years ago came back on the market, so we have decided to um, go on another adventure, <clears throat> and in eight days we are buying this farm.
0: <laughs> Holy crap, you're here to buy the farm.
1: We're buying a farm, and we're going to uh, fix the dilapidated buildings such that we can put them to bed. At the time that the flights open up and we can get back to the boat. And so that's the big crazy plan is for us to continue this um, nomadic lifestyle. Um, Jeremy's nickname is Nomad and mine's Gypsy. And our legal company name is Renegade Souls, which is kind of funny. Uh, so we plan to bounce back and forth between our island farm and our catamaran.
0: Wow. So well, we're really a... good at
1: teaching people to be crazy and just throw all the stories out the window and go live epic lives
0: that's 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 absurd (laughs) isn't it though it is at some level i really like it um i don't think it would fly in my household (laughs) no
1: although your
0: dog i know rest in peace
1: mr butters um
0: oh mr butters
1: my dad's wife has a little mr butters but she's a girl and i keep threatening to steal the dog and it's like she's boat size i can totally take her to the boat she could live on the boat i don't know if tammy would go for it though but
0: mr butters passed i know rest in peace mr That's butters sad. i'm so sorry That was really sad. so yeah those those little dogs i think a, that kind of dog might he was never a water dog you need a water dog if go on a boat.
1: well um, i was but... thinking not having a water dog is good because a lot of countries don't allow the animals to get off the boat. So if you uh, have a water dog, they're going to want to jump off the boat all the time.
0: That's true. I don't know. I don't think having a dog on a boat's great.
1: I don't think it's a good idea either because then they go make messes on the trampoline and that's gross. And then you don't get to yeah. play and roll around on the trampoline because you're rolling yeah. around in seagull matter. And... Be,
0: it'd be bad. Yeah. The worst a pet seal. A, a pet, pet seal. Seals. Yeah, let's get a pet seal.
1: I'm really enjoying sea turtles. Yeah. Not pet they're wonderful. They're, just, they're, they're hilarious. Did you know that sea turtles are not very graceful when they're first learning how to turtle?
0: Mm-mm.
1: Hilarious. We were on the boat in um, this area. The island is Malolo Lailai. So we were out anchored near the Malolo Reef and I was standing up on the bow and I heard this crazy noise and it was just like <clears throat> all this splashing. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And I have this obsession with turtles. I have a big sea turtle tattooed on my leg, and I, I love sea turtles. And up until just this year, it has been legal to eat them. So there are not that many sea turtles in Fiji, and they're not very big. And this one was really not very big, and it was not very good at turtling. So usually you have this visual, of these big graceful creatures, you know, coming up for air, and you'd see their head, and then they just slide back under the water, and they're they're almost like flying the way they move this baby turtle did not know what it was doing. So it was coming up and splashing all over the place and like gasping and snorting water. And then it would face plant back into the ocean to try to go down again. So this is now my analogy for people on a personal growth journey is that in the beginning we're like baby turtles were flailing and splashing and face planting all over
0: the place. Oh, that's awesome.
1: (laughs) It's okay to baby turtle.
0: So you could eat them in Fiji up until this year. Yes. Yeah. And is there a limit? I mean, you can't just take away a food of an island like that. Like there's got to be some like, you know, we have catch limits and things like that. Are they just going full on? Let's let them come back before we do this again.
1: I think they have closed that as a fishery. Um, I think people are still harvesting them, but they have annihilated the population. Like they are going to wipe them out entirely if they don't stop. Um, And that's kind of how we've experienced while we were there that's kind of how they do things they find a source of something and then they wipe it out and um, when Caitlin was there they were actually closing a reef for the first time like completely shutting it down so that it could recover I'm glad that they're figuring that out but
0: and the people are okay they're like okay that's what the island needs we do that
1: they're getting better about that uh, I mean yeah. there's certainly people that
0: I mean, know, I have turtle of times, soup, man I might just be really mad
1: <laughs> yeah exactly it's like this is our food and you know yeah. they will or if
0: I was a turtle hunter like that was how turtle I made shark. my living
1: mm-hmm. yeah so a lot of the reef fishermen you know they'll fish at night and same thing here you know there's night fishing that happens here and overfishing reefs the reef right off of where you know we're staying right now it's pretty well decimated and you know that's kind of I think a scarcity mentality that we as human beings possess it's like we find something that feeds us and we just gorge on it instead of well
0: there's a lot of there's a lot of us
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i'm I'm amazed that we all get that there's as much food as there is for as many people as there are. Mm-hmm. It's pretty mind blowing the network of of industries that that keep us fed i mean mm-hmm. and inherently they're massive and gross at some level, but people are eating, and that's pretty amazing
1: yeah. A lot so of that aren't eating.
0: <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I asked you any direct questions this whole time.
1: I think that we have such a history that may have been challenging, but we yeah. can do this again
0: sometime. It would have felt. It would have felt contrived a bit. It would have. So, your advice to any person, woman, man, going into an enterprise on their own. What is one thing you would tell them?
1: Oh, trust your soul. It knows the way. Okay. There are so many people that get wrapped up in the tactical and practical aspects of building businesses. But the biggest thing that I have found along the way, and when I look back over the businesses that I've created, um, I've built businesses in you know, health and wellness marketing, sales. I've worked in real estate. I've worked in finance. When I was involved with the cabinet business, you know, we took it to almost a million dollars a year um, the last year that I was there. And it was like, either give me money or I'm shutting the doors when I first started there. You know, we've I've been involved in many, many different industries. And when I look back at the times that I was happy and fulfilled and aligned and healthy, those were the times when I was integrated with who I am as a person. And I was lined up with my core values and Um, when you're not that way, no matter how much money you make, you're going to struggle. And when you lean into who you are instead of how you do things, I tell clients a lot that this journey is not at all about what you do. This journey is about who you are while you do it. So when you first get clear on who you are and how you want to experience your life, you line everything up with that, then the how do you do anything becomes effortless. So, when you're thinking about, you know, how am I going to start this business or what am I going to do? And coaching is huge. I mean, coaching is the second fastest growing industry in the world right now. So, so many people are getting into coaching and they're learning about, you know, how to start a coaching business. It's like, no, no, no. Go back to who you are. Go back to your soul. Go back to your passion. Go back to the things that make you feel alive and lean into that. And if you ever feel like something's off, trust it and line back up with your intuition, line back up with your integrity and things will be not always easy, but there will be an ease about them and there will be a flow about them. And I believe so much, whether you call it universe or source or, you know, divinity that this great ocean that we are, this collective supports that kind of integrity and it supports that kind of heart and it will be so much more fulfilling and more impactful. And you can have, an impact in this world that wasn't really possible before. And COVID has been disastrous in so many ways, but it's also opened up this huge arena for people to have an impact on the world at large that you know, they couldn't see would ever be possible 10 years ago without being, you know, Oprah and having a network channel or, you know, being some. New York Times bestseller with your book in print in 23 languages or, you know, traveling as a motivational speaker, you know, 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. the kind of impact we can have now wasn't available to the day-to-day person. And now it is.
0: Yeah. And, but that also creates, you know, a wall of sound Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, how do you, how do you become the purple cow? And, you know, I, I believe in authenticity and I'm going to, I'm just going to throw all of my bets on that. And, and that's and...
1: absolutely right. I completely support you in that. Because when we get in our head about how do I stand out, you're already fucking it up. Because you stand out because of who you are. You are already a unique individual. And when we try, we start trying to like find a way to stand out, we've already lost sight of what makes us brilliant and beautiful. Just Lean back into that. You already are amazing you're unique because you're you no one's ever had the experience you've had no one has the voice that you have no one has a perspective you have no matter what you do and coaching is like the ultimate industry there's I don't know how many coaches like I want to say there's millions of coaches there's not there's hundreds of thousands of coaches and when they lean into their gifts and who they are in the unique way they've experienced things those are the people that stand out and when the people try to be contrived and figure out how to make themselves stand out they're no longer being authentic
0: Right, right. So I'm, I'm pretty all into this. I'm way into this. This is my favorite thing I've ever done in my whole life. Um, I haven't figured out how to make it pay yet. However, there is an opportunity to donate um, on a monthly basis to the show, uh, $1 up to $20 a month um, through the support button on the Garland Pepper Presents podcast page. And on Facebook, I've shared the link. Um, on the garden Pepper page. So people can support this program because I would really love to keep it going. And uh, it's costing more than it than it brings in. And I'd like to actually do a lot more improvement. So there's some other costs coming up and I'd like for it to at least pay for itself um, as I build it um, and then uh, move on from there, you know, into something, uh, you know, hopefully it, it expands in a way that it, it becomes less of a support mechanism and I can get advertising and people don't, my friends don't feel the need to pay me to keep my show going. <laughs> you know,
1: And it's amazing that you have people that can and will support you. And I will definitely I've had a support feel, you. Really I feel really blessed every single
0: time it. somebody, every single, every single time somebody like supports, it's like, Holy crap. That, you know, that just, to me, it feels like, Oh, there's faith in it. Mm-hmm. You know, they may or may not even listen to the show much, but they're like, oh, I like what you're doing. And that that feels really good. I, I feel love like that the you've the right had
1: path. the courage to do this and that you're chasing it and you're acknowledging how it makes you feel and that it's worthwhile and that's a valuable investment and doing the more people show up and do things like you're doing the more other people have faith that they can do it and that they believe it's okay for them to have those dreams and to pursue those dreams is like, as you begin to shine your light, you give other people permission to do the same. Not like you're doing this to give people permission, but it has that effect. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you for doing no,
0: Thank you. Yeah. You have a, have a great time. Hope you get back to your boat soon.
1: I will keep you posted.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I will see those posts. Take take care of yourselves. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome and uh, welcome. uh, Welcome. Thank you. I just love having you here. I'm glad that I'm seeing more people uh, listening to the show. I'm going to continue to make better shows all the time. And this was a stellar show. Thank you, Carrie.
1: Thank you, Gary. We'll talk soon. Big love to all of you.
0: Tammy just walked in the room. Big love to Tammy. Hey y'all we've added a listener support button it's available on the Anchor app so if you listen to Apple or Google podcasts uh, go ahead and uh, see if you can get into the Anchor app and uh, donate a little money to keep the show going. Uh, It is a monthly donation I believe you can do as little as a buck or as much as 20 a month so uh, help support the Garland Pepper Presents podcast and uh, throw a little money this way keep it going.